2020 has been the year of the coronavirus, and big money is being put in to find a vaccine. But what if I told you that the spread of COVID isn't a medical problem, but rather an engineering one, and that two UCF aerospace engineers might have a simple, low-cost solution? Would you invest in their project? This show is all about separating hype from fundamental change. I'm Paul Jarley, Dean of the College of Business here at UCF. I've got lots of questions. To get answers, I'm talking to people with interesting insights into the future of business. Have you ever wondered, is this really a thing? On to our show. Ideas come from unexpected places. Listen to Michael Kinzel, Assistant Professor of Mechanical and Aerospace Engineering at UCF, explain the origin of the idea for a COVID cough drop. <laughs> it was kind of funny, right? My, my wife was arguing with uh, one of our neighbors on Facebook about aerosols and how far they can uh, kind of uh, pass from one person to another. And um, you, you, one of the things about aerosols is they're very small. They can, they, and if you, if you cough, for example, at that time, they were showing that, actually not coughs, sneeze. If you sneeze, they were showing that these aerosols can travel 27 feet. My wife was arguing with neighbors like, hey, you need to be careful as you go by somebody, maybe move out of the sidewalk uh, because of these aerosols. And it, 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 it drove me to think, eh, what, what, how do you make these, how, what do we do in engineering to make things not form aerosols? And um, one of the things that, that drives that is underlying fluid dynamics processes that, that associated with how thick your fluid is. So, for example, if you think about trying to make small droplets out of oil, it's a lot more difficult than making small droplets, droplets out of water or, or even on the other end on alcohol. So this is kind of driving, it, it was kind of a, you know, how do you get to a scenario where you don't enable droplets to travel 27 feet? How can you, if you make them large, they're no longer aerosols and, and they have a tendency to fall. So one way to potentially enable that is by making uh, a lozenge that actually alters your saliva so that it behaves or has a tendency to form these large droplets that, that don't persist for very long distances. Okay, so first, Michael, your wife has strange conversations with neighbors. Um. <laughs> oh, yeah, she's, 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 she argues with her neighbors all the time on Facebook. It's <laughs> I assume at some point you brought in Kareem on this. Kareem Ahmed is director of the Propulsion and Energy Research Lab at UCF. And like Michael, is an assistant professor in mechanical and aerospace engineering. Kareem, what did you think about this? I mean, so uh, we do uh, biofuels research and uh, the alteration of the saliva is a similar reminiscent sort of effect that we study with biofuels where you change viscosity and surface tension. And um, yeah, I mean, uh, it's, um, uh, that, that's, that's the thoughts back then where uh, uh, it's a fluid dynamic problem um, it's similar to the expulsion that you have from an engine. The same principle that is happening here is just a lower force. And uh, by uh, having this different properties of your saliva using a lozenge or so, it, it, it impacts its atomization process. So that it's a basic, simple principle, actually. So why didn't anybody think of this before? 
Well, it's uh, just because there isn't a need for something like this. I think here it's uh, it's when you're bound to the closures and the pandemic and thinking outside the box, why isn't anybody doing this? Well, first is, I mean, we, we are human, right? So we want to drink water. We don't want to have a, uh, a foreign saliva-altering object in our mouth. Uh, and in this case, it's it's sort of a need. It's the same thing like the face mask. We don't want our face, the face mask on our, on our nose and mouth, but it's a need right now. And, and I think that's why. Why nobody think, thought of it is because of this. I, I was going to add that people had in the past thought about um, almost like a, a nebulizer that focused on the, on the lungs but nobody's ever focused on the mouth. So that's, that's I think, our, the unique aspect that we're doing. And, and it seems to be pretty effective. Is this a potential solution for things other than COVID? Oh, most certainly, like colds, flus. I think in terms of a long-term uh, application, yeah. Like if somebody has a flu, you may prescribe them some, not prescribe them, you may have them take these lozenges and they'll have a less chance to transmit flu to one person. Touch on another one of my questions here, Michael. This, so this would be an over-the-counter product? This is kind of where we have kind of, uh, we're in a little bit of a bind because when we talk to FDA, they say, as long as we don't make a specific claim that this product, like if we don't have a specific claim, we do not need FDA approval, hence it's over-the-counter. It's not even FDA-approved treatment which is the same for a mask, by the way, it's not FDA approved either because they haven't done all the clinical studies. In fact, I think it, a couple of years ago, they found that dental floss wasn't FDA approved to improve your teeth health, but that approval process gives you kind of like buy-in or added, essentially it gives you more, you know, like, yes, the FDA says that this actually functions. In, in either case, I think it would be over the counter because it's non-medicinal. But I think maybe one question is, is do we go after FDA approval to be able to make a specific claim on transmission reduction of, of things like COVID? So what about the additives that change the viscosity of the saliva? Are, are there any hurdles there? I mean, what are you adding to it? These are just over the counter, kind of like food grade, thickeners, things that you would put in your, your, your in, <laughs> like in cooking. So Add a for example, flour, is that what you're talking about? <laughs> not flour, but like cornstarch and so forth. Okay. And uh, things that are, we're, we're trying to refine our ingredients so that it doesn't, one, that it stays, um, um, you know, so it still functions in the context of a lozenge or some mm-hmm. other treatment. And two, making it as comfortable as possible. I don't know if you have any other comments or Kareem. Yeah, I mean, they're they're just off-the-shelf ingredients that, that just simply alter your saliva. And things like peanut flour, for example, that, that alters your saliva and, and uh, makes it uh, highly viscous and, and reduces your atomization process that from a sneeze or a cough or even a loud speaking. So things of that nature um, that, that you could use. You could go exotic with formulated formulas, but for now it's organic-based off-the-shelf components that it's it's like you're chewing in a piece of bread. Uh, it affects your saliva in their absorption and its viscosity. So that's the same principle. 
You might remember Mike Pape from our earlier podcast on starting a business without any money. He is the Dr. Phillips Entrepreneur in Residence and Professor of Practice in the College of Business. Dr. Pape, do you have any uh, take on the FDA component on this? Yes, for the FDA, you you can use the ingredients uh, called GRAS, G-R-A-S, generally regarded as safe. So if you use those types of ingredients, and the, they mentioned the cornstarch, yeah, that I mean you could do that in in a product and do it over the counter and market it in such a way that it has appeal to some customer segment. Well, it would seem like time is of the essence here. I mean, we'd all like to think that there's going to be some solutions to this COVID virus soon. Is the FDA process a lengthy one, Dr. Pape? Would it take them a long time? Well, I don't know if you would you wouldn't necessarily have to go through that route. You can you can just use a, a grass ingredient, and you can then market it from as you desire. I guess the the thing here is at least from here in the conversation, what I've heard is cough drop, but it really wouldn't be a cough drop because cough drops, like they have uh, menthol in them and it's derivatives, which are analgesics, which suppress the cough reflex. So those are are very different things, Uh, even though those can be ingredients that you don't necessarily have the FDA approval of because they're so uh, used and they're generic in nature. But this one looks like a, you know, saliva uh, viscosity enhancer, uh, however you'd want to market that to somebody. Um, <clears throat> that's what it is. Yeah, it's it's essentially a confection. I would call it a confection. It's not really a cough drop. But most, okay. m- most people think of, well, they when I say confection, not everybody knows what a confection sure. is. So uh, the media use cough drop yeah, as a generic term. You know, there's, there's one thing, because this is about different solutions. And there's the face mask, there's the face shield, there's the distancing. And I think everybody would agree that they're like three leaky buckets for these aerosols and for respiratory droplets. And by squishing three buckets together that have holes in it, maybe you can you know reduce the leakage. It looks like this would fit in the category where it'd be a fourth item, if you will, that could, yes. could reduce the leakage. So there might be a case there. But when I think about the solution, yes, you could this confectionary idea I get it, but you could also reduce the uh, the droplets, if you will, and it wouldn't necessarily be viscosity, but you could by, do it by, I don't know, I guess drying out people's mouths. Um, That's you know, one of the ingredients, actually, yeah. and, and I think Mike Mike was going to touch on it. We we do have like uh, uh, ginger that does tend to do that, reduce your saliva production. I'll give you a recommendation for that. Paul and I are big baseball fans. And we used to buy, I am sure, just like he did, like I did, we would go buy Topps baseball cards every week, uh, hoping there were Detroit Tigers in there. And they would have this bad piece of gum. And we thought it was sent from heaven. We would chew it, and it would go stale in about a minute and dry out your mouth. It was terrible. But we would (laughs) chew it and look through the cards, and it was the best thing ever. So the cards smell great. Right, it did. But, you know, those are just different solutions, but it's that same idea of of trying to, you know, put it in with the, you know, current regime of uh, uh, reduction of uh, respiratory droplets and aerosols. 
You know, though, Mike, your your I think your card point is kind of relevant here because one of the, one of the questions I had is why would I buy it? Because honestly, I'm protecting others, not myself. I personally think that that's the biggest hurdle we have, and because of that, I do not think it's. I I, I think that there's probably a few different market or markets to hit. And it wouldn't be the general market, the general person. It might be kind of like, uh, I, I kind of tried to classify them in my own words, but kind of like a regulated workforce. So you think of like the healthcare, military and elderly homes, people where you have to, places where they have to be together, but they could actually demand, hey, why don't you, you need to take these, these things and it'll help reduce spread of disease and so forth. It seems like the obvious first market to hit or how about college students to show up on campus i i think that it would be really hard to to to, to enforce. <laughs> yeah. cameron what do you think cameron ford is an associate professor in our management department and is the founding director of the ucf center for entrepreneurial leadership what do you think about that problem yeah <laughs> Well, first off, I think this is a really interesting uh, kind of creative solution in that it is uh, a came up with an analogy in between the aerosols from the, the sneezing and everything like that to these viscosity issues you guys deal with in your engineering research. So making that connection is one of the things I, I, I really enjoy seeing people do, you know, uh, and using a, one thing as an analogy for something else and then thinking of a brand new solutions. So that, that was a really cool aspect of your story. I think I'm always looking at use scenarios for something like this and trying to figure out whether if the solution by itself uh, can address a problem or maybe in combination with something else. So one thing I'm thinking about as I'm listening to you guys is whether this is an ingredient that might be combined with something else, like a decongestant or something like that, that people might take as just a, a better version of whatever it is they're using to deal with like a common cold or something like that. Um, the other thing I was thinking of by itself are, you know, specific use scenarios and like who would be the, you know, 100 most desperate people to use something like this. I'm trying to think of, I don't know, meat processing plants, uh, places like that, like, someone... like Paul's kind of thinking where it's kind of high incident rates where maybe an employer could enforce utilization and it would solve their problem somehow. Or, or a, a susceptible family member, maybe Cameron. That yeah, something like that. Category maybe. I thought about. Yeah, because yeah, you know, the people are trying to either, you know, in, in, in the global way of thinking about this kind of you when know, people are buying something, they're either trying to achieve a positive outcome or avoid a negative outcome. This is clearly a scenario where, you know, you're trying to help people avoid negative outcomes. So getting your relatives sick, getting a child sick, getting a coworker sick, those would be the kinds of scenarios. So what are the worst ones of those that you can imagine and then maybe focus on those? Yeah, I, I agree with you, Cameron. There's 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 a product market fit issue and Michael mentioned that. And the idea is who would be an early adopter of this? It wouldn't be for the masses. It doesn't seem like you're gonna pop one of these in your mouth before you go into Publix to protect other people. But if you have an acute situation with a relative, I'll give you an example. Like my mom, she's 87. She's in a senior living facility. And that senior living facility, it's up in Michigan. They have a gazebo out there. You have to rent the space for an hour. Family members walk around the, on the lawn to sit out there in chairs that are far apart. And you can, and they got to be masked. But you see, you, you could see using and mandating something like this be used. 
in the senior living facility uh, and family members utilizing it. If it can be acted on quickly, I think they could possibly mandate something like that. Yeah. To piggyback on Mike, I would suggest that if there's places where the the use of this might be mandated mm-hmm. uh, for some kind of broader benefit for a population of people that are maybe in a prison or in a you know mm-hmm. nursing home or other high incident places, that might be a good way of doing it. Because to Paul's earlier point, this isn't something that would probably be real pleasant to consume. Um, so it might be better to have it in an environment where they're doing it for some other reason. So, gentlemen, how long do you think it'll take you to get it to market? Michael and Kareem, do you get one of the things that we were so our goal was to get it to market as fast as possible. So our initial thinking was, okay, why don't we hit up the companies already developing lozenges or other kinds of things like like the Nicorette gum? Um, but we we have not had much success getting through getting going with a licensing like option with that, which would be you know licensing out our technology to one of these larger corporations. So we're still trying to do that. And we feel like if we could get it licensed, it could get out to market very quickly because it's really not that complicated of a feat. Um, but, but what we're doing now is trying on our own and exploring options to get funding, to push it out to market. But, but then it has other issues because we have to worry about um, getting it into supermarkets or getting it purchased by like the elderly homes or, 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 or healthcare companies, right? It, it's, it's, it's a lot more complicated when you like pushing things out to market and getting buy-in and so forth. It's, it's, um, we really were hoping the licensing option would have, would have worked, but it's, it's, it, it, it's, I don't know if maybe we missed, we haven't hit the right companies interested in it so far. Is this an idea you can patent? Yeah, it's, very it 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 is patentable yeah that's that's bottom line (laughs) michael and cameron you got any potential partners in mind for these guys i was wondering if you've spoken to any like food co-packers or other food manufacturing outfits that you might be able to work with we we've mostly spoke to um a lot of the big pharmaceutical companies like bayer johnson and johnson uh, gsk a few other companies and i don't know maybe we're hitting the wrong routes but um they weren't very we didn't get any interest from them but we also tried like with ricola but uh we have not hit up some of the i think you're probably the best one is that i forget what it's called melendez or the one that owns like halls and nabisco mm-hmm. and that they, they might be uh another one to hit up but yeah i was wondering about some food co-packing companies that may have excess capacity and might be able to give you a fairly good rate for manufacturing what you're talking about, but then you would have to put up money to make that happen. So that is literally this week we're putting in, um, we're trying to get some, you know, we're, we're trying to get, find ways to fund this and we're exploring options of getting, uh, you know, investments, but we're also exploring uh, government SBIR routes as well. And, 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 and I think once we, if we're able to get funds through that, that might be, I think that's an excellent idea. When you say a co-packing, I guess I'm not completely clear what the these kinds of... Uh... Yeah, well, there, this is Mike. Cam, uh, and you can correct me if you see it differently, but you know there are plenty of places that make, let's say, vitamins or various things, and they, oh. they do the packaging. So all you do is you set up an agreement with them, and if these are just off-the-shelf kind of ingredients, they can make 
friable pills. They can pump these out and they can sell them under private label. You can put your own label on there. It looks like it's coming, you know, from your own company and uh, it would be a marketing play basically. And you would just have to market appropriately. You could do that online. You might have some boots on the ground that could go to senior living facilities in the area and get some validation from them. And then you're on your way and you just put on your website, you would put the data that you have generated in the lab as sort of a white paper. And that would be your basis for marketing. I got you. Yeah, I did. Yeah, I did see these. I didn't know what they were called, but that, that is, that does make it practical mm-hmm. from, yeah. from a, a startup yeah. point of view. I think like an outsource that, manufacturer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 It's, now, would you be able to man, to make batches of this in a, basically a home kitchen or a small commercial kitchen? You're thinking farmers market, like I was thinking. <laughs> well, kind of. I mean, this is the kind of thing where they you can you, know, you can legally manufacture right. food in a home setting uh, under a craft food uh, arrangement, and then you could take boxes of these things to various kinds of places, like Mike has described, uh, and see what people think. You know, do they taste so nasty they would never want to use them? Uh, do they see some value? It, it would give you a lower risk way of seeing how people respond to the product before you put a bunch of money into manufacturing a whole ton of it and then having it end up in your garage. Yeah, they are easy to make. The problem that we always have with the, it's not nasty, but for example, you know, we can make a new batch. It, it takes I mean, I made a few batches of something and it, it took about an hour each. It's not overly time consuming. It's just getting their ingredients correct. And um, and I, I think we're the, the other thing we're trying to work through is testing. How do we make and test, make and test, make and test as fast as possible? Because we have our in, you know, our, our testing equipment that we have, but it's, it's, it could take a while. So we're trying to refine that process, uh, develop a, a very fast development and test type methodology. I don't think that would cost more than a hauls. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's the, the ingredients are not exotic. Um, we have even flexibility in the ingredients. So we could kind of switch some of the ingredients up. I mean, like, like Kareem said, it's like ginger, cornstarch, <laughs> And how do you make it in the context of a lozenge that they still remain effective? So how much would they cost? I mean, when I make them at home, it costs $2 and I make a hundred of them. Cameron and Michael, what other thoughts do you have for these two? I mean, if you can make them, we've had plenty of people who, as Cameron said, take foodstuffs and, and make it and they'll, they'll go to a farmer's market, they'll get customer feedback. But if you can make these, um, Ginger and cornstarch, I know it sounds like an Asian stir fry, but uh, those are simple enough ingredients to utilize and begin to um, see what uh, people would be interested in. The, The data that you'd have to generate because it's primarily would be a marketing play, you wouldn't have to have this in a publication ready type data at all. It'd be more like a white paper but it was done by real life scientists, uh, but, but it wouldn't be some sort of peer reviewed thing at all. It would be enough to be able to show this on a website. It's a bit populist. It might be, you might, you might recoil from that, but the fact of the matter is there's different types of science for different types of products. 
in order to get some traction. I mean, just a quick question there. If we were going after data, I mean, what we're, our data currently is like how, how far are droplets traveling and what's your exposure level at various distances. It's very detailed data. Um, and what I feel like you're going after is more either data associated with taste or is it data associated with transmission rates? No, it'd be no that transmission rates would be too tough. But I, I, I yeah. think what you're saying is about the projection, let's say, of these. You, you need, you know, we, we talk about having needing a money slide. The money slide is one where people see it and they go, oh, I've got to have that. If you had a money graph, which is you show plus and minus a couple, three ingredients, uh, most people can read the graph and you show the project, projectile uh, is reduced significantly. That's what you go into, particularly with healthcare professionals. And they might say, hey, I like this. I'm going to, we have um, family members coming in. Uh, we're going to have them try it. Can, can I show you a, a, our potentially money graph? Sure. Um, processed aerosols coming from a sneeze. This is a sneeze with a mask. And this is our ingredient, our lozenge ingredients. And then this is a droplet projectiles. I, I would say that the, the lighter the color, the further in time it is. So this is a, a droplet that after yeah. like half a second. Mm -hmm. There you go, Michael. This is this is the uh, first page of the web of your website. Just yeah, I wonder how much the lodging guys are dismissing you because they're not used to talking to engineers. Well, there's not uh, enough money yeah. in it, Paul. Yeah, I know. There's not enough markets. Money. It's, it's just it's a low margin. It'll be a low margin kind of thing, and it's yeah. just not worth. It's an opportunity cost for them. Yeah. One thing you might want to look into is there's a recent, I believe it was MIT and Oxford came up with a new way of classifying uh, situations with regard to their risk of COVID transfer. Hmm. And they looked at volume of speech as one of the variables. There you go. Uh, so they had being silent, uh, normal conversation or speaking loudly or singing uh, along with all the other factors that we're used to talking about. I'm just wondering if uh, using a lozenge, if you were in those kind of higher volume settings might lower the risk because they used a kind of a green, yellow, red kind of, uh, you know, stoplight kind of analogy to uh, show which situations were safe and which were highly risky. You might be able to take a lot of yellow situations and make them green using a lozenge like this. Oh well, yeah, definitely. This is, it's, it, <laughs> It basically makes your saliva in a way like ketchup. Nice. <laughs> and and it, you know, when you pour ketchup, it doesn't flow. I wouldn't put that in the I don't know if you're part. selling it there. Yeah. I'm not sure you're selling that. One of the things I wanted to get, get across is that, that Mike and I really work hard with our students on, you know, the methods that we advocate are really trying to get people to mitigate risks at every step in the process by thinking about things that they don't know yet and figuring out what's the uh, sort of least, the lowest commitment way in terms of resource expenditures we can utilize to figure that out. So that's why we're talking about maybe making small batches in your kitchen, taking those out and actually showing them to people, getting them to taste them and see if they can tolerate that, show them this money slide and see if they get excited. There's a lot of things you could do that would cost little to no money to learn a lot more about the potential um, attractiveness this might have for different consumers. And that'll allow you to make uh, more re well-reasoned uh, investment decisions, both in terms of time and money uh, moving forward with this. So but this is great stuff. But it's a very cheap solution, right guys? So it's really about finding in my mind where 
the risk and the price point maybe kind of match? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's complementary to current methodologies, to current approaches, the mass, the shield, the distancing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's just another one. It's, 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 the, it's the three or four leaky buckets. None of those are perfect, but just smash them together. Uh, it can hold more water. Um, man, you guys, people, if they saw this kind of thing, you really would be all over the news. It'd be crazy because it's simple to understand. And yep. it's, it'll, and oh, these, the news agencies are always looking for real life scientists to talk about stuff. And um, <laughs> you, you might, I, you might be able to get some real traction, uh, even with this, I have to say. You got to get Dr. Fauci to take one at one of his press conferences. You got one influencer here. We got to get to him. (laughs) He can't throw a baseball. Yeah, we saw that. (laughs) Yeah, we definitely said. So I'd be interested to hear from Michael and Karim. What do you think the learning lessons are for students here on your journey so far? What would you tell them? Never stop thinking about what you're doing and applying it to the real world. Sometimes we get wrapped under the axle on just details of uh, of flow. And it, I think it's kind of cool to think of outside the box and apply what you learn. So, so Kareem and I both do aircraft almost exclusively, right? And, um, and, you know, what you learn in the context of an aircraft could be a very applicable to almost any field. Oh, handing them out on airplanes might be an interesting yeah. thing. Yeah, air, air, airplanes would be a, a definite. Like this is our list that we have, kind of like running airlines in our kind of like second second approach. Other thoughts for students? I'm sorry, gentlemen, I kind of cut you off. Or, or Cameron and Mike, any any thoughts on that? Well, this is a good example of the uncertainties that you face. There's a lot of different possibilities. So taking a batch of these and visiting with you know various uh, options you have here would give you a lot of insight on who got excited and who would be most likely to use it. And you could lean into those uh, enthusiastic uh, people. Right. Mike, you had a follow-up? Yeah, and so many times on the technical side of things, you, if you produce a patent in the academic setting, you you know, it's a lot of times it's a solution looking for a problem. Mm-hmm. And then it's very difficult to think commercial you know, when you're getting your PhD or you're working on your manuscripts and all of that. But here's one, because this has been so much in front of everybody's face, which is intriguing uh, with the COVID, that you guys automatically took something from one field, uh, fluid dynamics, and applied it to a current problem. And, you know, the entire scientific community, people who never thought they'd be working in biology or on viruses, have completely switched over uh, and are finding some way to attack uh, this virus. And you guys did it simply because it was really right in front of your faces. And that's the lesson is trying to expose yourself to what is going on in the world. And you'll find these ways that will guide your research into a commercial vein, perhaps. And that can be really powerful. Kareem and Michael, how much more time are you willing to put into this project? What would make you stop? What would make you continue to go forward with it? If we can't get money, it's going to be really hard to, to really push out as a product. But I like the thinking that you're saying on, on terms of just doing a little bit more research on on and uh, in, in, in looking a little bit more into some of the details to, to better 
potentially license. I think if we had more information and, and, and we could continue to hit up licensing firms, that seems like, you know, we're still going to push that at least for the next year. If we're able to get money in terms of, uh, you know, the other thing is, is do we get money from the government? That that seems like an obvious one we're going to push forward until we stop getting money through this SBIR route. I don't know how much I want to go into looking at for investors from other ends. I think if it fell right in front of me, I would do it. But but I don't know if I want to really push hard on, on that end and, and going to trade shows and these sorts of things. I mean, that's but but we do have students and, and, and researchers that work with us that might be willing to do that. So I guess it's not just us. It's a whole team of people that are potentially pushing this. Kareem, any other thoughts on that? I mean, it's it's. Uh, I think like like you mentioned that uh, time commitment is always a challenge for this because it's uh, it's not our main core focus. Yeah, it's not your day job, right? Yeah. Exactly, exactly. And I think that's one of the things that are that is hindering us from moving this as quickly as we can, uh, primarily because because of that. So, uh, what would it would we find a path where we completely take this and forget our day job, it's a little bit challenging unless it takes off, right? So Cameron and Mike, I'm going to put you on the spot here. Do they have a thing? Well, I would encourage them to think more about the demand side and and the customers you might go talk to rather than the supply side in terms of doing more research and kind of tweaking it in the lab. Um, if, If you can drive to the airport, you can drive to a cruise ship port. There's people you could talk to very locally would help you understand whether anybody's excited about this. You might even be able to get a senior design student team involved in maybe going out and doing some of that legwork. If I, as I look at all these markets, I think it could be a thing. I think of probably a small to medium-sized thing. It seems like this would be a very niche kind of application, but I could definitely see there being some merit in some of these scenarios. Mike? Uh, I don't think it's a thing yet. Uh, there needs to be product market fit. It's my podcast, so I get to go last. When I was at the University of Kentucky, I remember having a conversation with the Dean of Engineering where he claimed that all innovation occurred in the lab. I disagreed and told him that innovation came from customer need. Mike Pape said it best during this podcast. Frequently, inventors have solutions looking for problems. One of the beauties of having engineers and scientists work with business folks is that they can help them find the right match. It's why we're so big on having business and engineering students work together in the College of Business. COVID is most definitely a problem. It has wreaked havoc with public health and the economy. But the COVID cough drop isn't a solution for someone who has COVID. It's a way to mitigate the spread of the virus to others, much like a mask. The key question is, whose problem does that solve? Maybe people who have loved ones who are more likely to develop serious health problems than the virus, would purchase the cough drop to protect them. Or companies that are trying to convince people that it's safe to interact with their business might buy the cough drop in bulk and pass it out to people on airlines or cruise ships or at amusement parks or at sporting events. But compliance with the cough drop taking would be tougher to monitor than wearing a mask. And the expense for mask gatherings could become pretty significant. Might the COVID cough drop find a niche market? Mm, maybe. But I doubt it's going to be the next big thing in defense against the virus. What do you think? 
If you're really geeky and want to hear the extended conversation we had about the COVID cough drop, check out the show notes for this episode at business.ucf.edu slash podcast. You can also find extended interviews with our guests and notes from the show. Special thanks to my producer, Josh Miranda, and the whole team at the Office of Outreach and Engagement here at the UCF College of Business. And thank you for listening. Until next time, charge on. Star.